Timeless Voyager Radio, self-development radio for the open mind. Interviews with leading edge authors and speakers, psychic phenomena and the unexplained, UFOs, extraterrestrial encounters, government cover-ups, alternative health care, new technologies. And now, Bruce Stephen Holmes for Timeless Voyager Radio. This is the story that is behind Whitewater. Um, I'm looking at a book here called Compromised. It's a book that basically tells us that uh, Clinton, Bush, and the CIA have co-opted and conspired for years. Uh, uh, <laughs> how the Central Intelligence Agency, along with uh, all the powers that be, have been really spending our money in a way that we did not even know about, using Arkansas, I guess, as a base since Korea. The book, uh, written by Terry Reid and John Cummings, uh, real quickly, Terry Reed is a former Air Force intelligence operative. Uh, John Cummings is a former prize-winning investigative reporter. Now, we don't have the two of them with us today. However, we have uh, on the line with us Bob Bickle, who is a gentleman who has been the sole, I guess, uh, supporter of the book and is actually the, uh, I don't know if he's the publisher, we'll ask him in a moment, but we do know one thing. He is the gentleman who is spending all of his time and money getting this book out to everyone. And with him is Jim Hovis, uh, and both of them will be joining us today by conference call. Uh, gentlemen, are you on the line? Yes, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Bert. All right. Um, let's, let's just kind of uh, frame this whole thing first. Bob, how is it that you came into uh, being part of this book? So let's start that way. Terry and I had uh, had known each other for a period of time, and uh, he was looking for a way to to more effectively market the book, get it before the public, where the story was known and understood. And uh, in doing a little bit of brainstorming one day, we decided that we would do a telemarketing uh, effort with the book, and so far that has been quite successful. The, the organization, the company that I have, is a uh, political action and. Uh, governmental affairs organization and we have on different occasions offered this kind of service to other people and, and made it a part of trying to get certain messages out before the public and, and so that's where the the entire uh, uh, situation arose from. Now Jim Hovis, uh, what is your tie-in with the book and with the uh, organizations? Well I'm, uh, I'm the uh, general counsel for uh, for Alexandria Group, uh, that's Bob's group, and he uh, and we we have uh, helped establish that group with Bob and and uh, our function as a as a senior corporate partner in a uh, in my law firm in Richmond, Virginia, and we're we're there to uh, analyze various pieces of legislation, uh, really the whole legislative agenda of the Clinton White House. Uh, and the, and the current uh, powers that be in Washington, and try to get that information out to uh, the, the members of Bob's organization and into America. We're just trying to educate those in this country, the, the gut of our country, as to what is going on, so they can make some, some informed decisions going through, uh, as we get into uh, the end of 94 and uh, the presidential elections in 96, to try to make some changes. 
All right, now let me see if I have this uh, cor uh, right, and, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong on this, uh, either one of you. Um, this whole situation uh, with the CIA kind of operating in Arkansas, setting up Arkansas almost like a banana republic, I, I think that might be a good way to state it, <laughs> uh, has been going on since the end of the Korean War. Is that correct? Well, it, essentially it's uh, been pretty much since the, the end of World War II when, when OSI was turned, in, turned into the CIA and was uh, established to inform President Truman to keep the presidents of the, of the country uh, appraised of what was going on in international affairs uh, from an intelligence standpoint. And then over a period of time, it, it's, it's been uh, converted into to something differently. I right, might add oh. that, that what has happened is not do we have a problem with the government being one entity and the people who occupy certain uh, levels of responsibility and authority being something quite different. The government's incapable, the CIA is incapable as entities upon themselves of doing certain things. You have to look at the people of, of authority and responsibility who, who should be accountable for certain things who have in the past shown that they are quite otherwise uh, outside of accountability. All right, now for those of you who may just tuned in, Bruce Stephen Holmes, Timeless Voyager Radio is the show. Uh, my guest today, two gentlemen, uh, Jim Hovis, who is counsel uh, for the uh, Alexandria Group, and Bob Bickle, who uh, is the Alexandria Group. <laughs> is that a good way to state it? Well, no, the Alexandria okay. Group is a is a organization. What is your What is your function in the Alexandria Group? Well, I'm I'm the president of the Alexandria okay. Group. Okay, so it I'll call you the president. A, a company, a a political action, and governmental affairs consulting group. All right. Now the book. This is interesting, folks. I, and I, I I know it's kind of hard when you're doing radio. I'm looking at a 556 page book. The book is called Compromised. And this is the story behind Whitewater, along with the story behind all the other things, including the Iran-Contra. This, um, this situation that Compromised basically talks about has reared its ugly face many, many times in the past uh, 30 or 40 years, and uh, it just seems like uh, it can't be kept quiet any longer. Is that correct, Bob? I think for the most part what, what people are going to find is that Iran-Contra and the Iraqi procurement network and, and things uh, that are discussed and documented quite uh, extensively in compromise are going to be found to be pieces of a much wider circumstance in, in that uh, there have been, in many instances, a complete breakdown of accountability within the United States government. Uh, within some of our intelligence and enforcement community organizations uh, where certain people are compromised to the gratification of personal greed and corruption. Uh, this has become quite evident in, in what Terry documents in, in the book Compromised uh, with regard to the activities of, of Clinton as a the governor of Arkansas and the people who were operating around him. And you're quite right, this has been going on for, for some 30 years plus. Um, how, let me ask you a question, Jim. How do you advise 
<laughs> someone who has a book that this is this book now incidentally for those of you who are listening this book names names dates places uh, offers incredible proof how do you advise someone uh, how does how do you manage to keep Bob alive <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll uh, two two com. Bob's an awfully tough guy. Uh, he's a, he's a survivor. But no, honestly, the two things that that uh, one thing that that I stress to Bob, and let me say this: Bob is has the the Alexandria Group has the distribution rights for this book, and and uh, and so you know he he did uh, he didn't author the book uh, from from all that I can judge and in my involvement with Bob. To be very clear, that in this book there are documented uh, instances. This book maintains that uh, characters are said to have, have done things. I mean, th- these are really a recounting of a book that has been published by a party who was there. Now, let me say this: uh, th- this book is very documented. It is well documented. It is well corroborated. Um, the, 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 the the counsel for Terry Reed has been very cautious with this whole with this whole process. Uh, I don't think you're when in, in the end result. I don't think the issue is going to be is this book materially false in any way. I think the issue is basically this: Are there enough people in this country willing to air the contents of this book so the American people have a true understanding? of who is in the White House today and what they're trying to do and how they got there. And it's very relevant to, to Americans today. And I think that's the problem. You've got, you've got both sides of the aisle, Republican and Democratic sides, that, that had some involvement in the national security part of our, of our affairs. Uh, however, the, 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 prime, the prime problem that Terry Reid has today is that the sitting president, was sitting right in the middle of meetings that that were are exceedingly damaging. They detail things that the American people simply aren't aren't prepared yet to accept. And I think over a period of time they'll they will they'll see this in the performance of the White House. And I think they've seen it to date. And Bruce, I saw a poll the other day that said that 65 percent of the people polled think this country is headed in the wrong direction. And I believe that's the reason that shows such as yours are 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 airing these things because the people had to take it into their own hands. It's a grassroots effort to educate and to make changes in Washington from out, because Washington won't do it on its own. All right. I open up the book, and I, I read this, and I'll just quote this. This book deals with the Central Intelligence Agency co-opting the presidency and how black operations like a cancer cannot be removed without destroying the government it was designed to initially preserve. Harry S. Truman, the man who created the CIA in 1947, alluded to this as far back as the 1960s, when in the twilight of his life he stated his concern in a letter to a magazine editor about what the agency was becoming only a little more than a decade after its creation. The former president never a man to mince words, voiced the fear that the CIA was out of control and that what it was doing was not what it had in, what was intended, nor what a democracy needed. Here is the actual letter. It says, 
Uh, dear Mr. Arthur, it, it seems that he's talking to William B. Arthur of Look Magazine. He says, thank you for the copy of Look with the article on the Central Intelligence Agency. It is, I regret to say, not true to the facts in many respects. Then he goes on to say, the CIA was set up by me for the sole purpose of getting all the available information to the president. It was not intended to operate as an international agency engaged in strange activities. Sincerely yours, Harry Truman. That was written June 10th, 1964. Your comments, Bob Bickle. Well, the, the things that we have, have seen time and time again in the media and personal involvement with other areas that I've had access to, uh, the agency has operated domestically and internationally as a tool for the purposes of either maintaining some kind of control over certain populations or reestablishing certain philosophies uh, within a, a populist area, uh, generally in third world or other foreign countries where, where influences needed to be brought to bear. Some of those methods by which the influences have been brought to bear with regard to what are publicly stated or uh, not so publicly stated policies happen to be were done in, in a manner that was really uh, uh, much to the disgust of a lot of people after some things have been, been found out uh, less than admirable. There were too many other avenues open to us had we chosen to go those routes. But when you start operating in a totally secret environment, a totally covert environment, then you have an absolute power that will corrupt absolutely, as the saying goes. And that, in, in many instances, is exactly what has happened because uh, that covert environment, you start out doing all the wrong things for all the right reasons, and it becomes a completely an absolutely dysfunctional environment where every day is a lie. And then when those lies can no longer be covered up, uh, then people choose to just ignore them. And, and then they continue on past that as, as open secrets, wink and nod type uh, policy initiatives. And uh, then you have to have people who are willing at some point to step in and say, look, this is it, enough is enough. And Harry Truman was trying to point that out some 30-odd years ago, 34 years ago almost. And uh, it has not changed a great deal since then. Matter of fact, it's gotten uh, substantially worse on any number of occasions. Bob, we talked about a lot here in general. Let's get specific. Let's give our listeners one specific event, uh, your choice out of the book, something that I think they'll need to hear, names, dates, and places. So why don't you give us something really, uh, what you feel might be important and pertinent to today's uh, discussion. Okay, I, I think one of, one of the areas, and, and this is going to take a little bit of setting the stage, uh, in the early 1980s there was a, a complete, foreign, <clears throat> excuse me, complete foreign policy initiative that was written by staff members in the White House. Uh, I've had occasion to talk with, with one gentleman who, who penned the original uh, doctrine for President Reagan. Uh, I will not give his name over the air for, for some reasons that I do not have his permission to do so. But uh, his, his original writing of 
foreign policy doctrine for the Reagan administration was such that this particular doctrine was aimed at specifically bringing down the communist empire. There's no no secret whatsoever that the the communist empire was a a very uh, big thorn in President Reagan's side, and rightfully so because it has presented a severe threat to the sovereignty of this country and many others. The uh, the entire doctrine was such that in specific ways and by specific means, either covertly or overtly, the, the CIA and other government agencies of the United States would operate to economically break the Soviet Union, to, to put them in a position of expending uh, capital, other resources, uh, collateral resources in, in people, uh, in whatever manner, every place the Russians stuck their nose up anywhere in the world, they would be put in a position of being met with low-intensity conflict on some level and therefore have to advance whatever expenditures they were making. And we know that this ultimately came to pass. The problem with that, and this, this brings, you know, we're talking about the specific area of the book, there was a meeting held in 1986 at uh, Camp Robinson in Arkansas. The members of the attending group at this this particular meeting was held in a bunker at uh, Camp Robinson in Arkansas by Terry Reed, who was part of, of an operation there uh, or that was being run out of Arkansas and being coordinated through the economic offices of, uh, of President Clinton's uh, governor's mansion. Uh, the meeting was also attended by Bob Nash, who was President Clinton's then economic advisor and the head of the Arkansas Development and Financial Authority. Uh, the meeting was also attended by a gentleman by the name of Robert Johnson, who was an NSA uh, advisor and, and manager. Uh, it was also intended by some other members of the uh, uh, CIA contingency that were, were operating within the area and managing some of the operations. And it was attended quite surprisingly by Bill Clinton, who was at that time the governor of Arkansas, and everybody was absolutely aghast when he stepped out of his van when his security people had made sure that, that the air was, area was clear. At that meeting, the topic of conversation was the simple fact that the long-term operations that had been undertaken in Arkansas, and many of those operations had been fronted through the Rose Law Firm, where the Rose Law Firm did the paperwork for the front companies that were to be carrying out these covert operations in weapons manufacture and transshipment and, and acquisition. All of this was being shut down. And Clinton was extremely upset by all of this because tremendous amounts of money had been at that point laundered through Dan Lassiter's bond firm, through 
efforts of the Rose Law Firm in setting up the companies who received this money. Uh, it was just a, a tremendously effective uh, program that were operated under two different operations names, uh, Operation uh, Jade Bridge and Operation Centaur Rose. Nonetheless, <clears throat> the meeting was called for the purposes of, of slapping the governor's hands because much of what we see behind Whitewater at this point that we've seen on the national news and in the press and other areas where the money laundering in in these areas with Dan Laster, with other involvements of the Rose Law Firm and people who had been <clears throat> the partners in the Rose Law Firm who were in charge of doing the paperwork. Uh, the whole thing had gotten to the point where the money that had been laundered through all of these operations had been skimmed to the point that instead of taking a part of the proceeds, uh, the Clinton people were taking 10% off the top. And these are things that are not being said openly. These are things that are not being, even though the documents are there, the bank account records are there, you start tracking the money and you find real quick who the faces are. And these are areas where you start finding uh, the Clinton administration in Arkansas getting tied into the Bank of Commerce and Credit International, which if, if everybody remembers here recently, we had the, the big scandal over BCCI and Clark Clifford and uh, Robert Altman. These things are not disconnected. These things are not uh, disassociated from each other. They are just elements of the same overall story that if anybody really bothered to put it on a wall, put it in a flow chart, and take a look at it, all of these individuals were operating for their own gratification. All right now, Timeless Voyage Radio is the show. Bob Bickle is my guest with uh, Jim Hovis on the other side. Uh, let me just maybe make a comment here. With all of the Clinton bashing going on from the uh, conservative side of the of the uh, aisle, the the point though that I think you're making is that this has been going on for quite a while. So I mean, it's not as though Clinton is the first president to have made all of these deals and been and and, and certainly has been lining his pockets very well with this. Uh, this goes back through Bush, through Reagan. Uh, how far back does this go? Without having to go into too many specific details, there's a great deal of this that could be traced all the way back to Eisenhower's right. administration. So the reason that I brought that up is because, you know, we get we get an interesting side. We get a liberal vo a voice. We get a conservative voice. But what we're getting from you is that this thing has been, in a sense, threaded throughout both sides of the aisle. Democrats, Republicans share the blame. This is going on during each administration, and uh, it shows no sign of changing, which is why we're going to talk about something in the next part of our uh, program, and that is, of course, this very interesting group that you were part of, which is uh, called the Project Providence. It seems to be a way that people are going to begin to understand how they can begin to take back their power, as it uh, as it were, from the uh, CIA, I guess, is <laughs> we have to take it back from. Uh, does that sound like a correct assessment here? 
Well, it's more than just the CIA. The CIA is just another group of people out there who, who represent, and it's, and it's really unfair, and I'll, I'll have to qualify this okay. before we go much farther. There are a number of, a lot of people, not only within the CIA, but within other organizations of the United States government, other enforcement agencies, other, other policing organizations, and other intelligence groups, they are honest, they are forthright, they have the highest degree of integrity, and they are doing everything they can at the risk of their own lives, and a great deal of this we will never know about All right. to protect the country. There are people yeah. within that agency who are who use the agency and who have used covert operations to cover their own illegal activities, and then they'll run back up under this umbrella of national security interests. And it has happened, you know, with individuals out here with no allegiance. It has happened with people who are on the conservative side of the aisle or the liberal side of the aisle or who are Democrat, who are Republican. And one's hands are just about as dirty as the other. Let me, let, can I interject one thing? Oh, Bruce? absolutely. Matter of fact, Jim, I was going to ask you to jump in here. Well, the only, I only had just a, just a very quick comment, and that basically is that Two things. B, Bob is detailing for you what really your audience can read if, if they purchase this book. I mean, it is, it's set out in compromise, and it's, it's a statement of, of what, in fact, is set out there. And, and documentation is that the book's replete with documentation, so it's an interesting read. Um, and, and I think it, the, the listeners should understand that, that, we're, that Bob's really recounting to you some of the highlights of what's set out uh, in this book for all the readers to make some determinations uh, uh, from. Second point is that I think as you get into the second part of the show, this, this, is, this is the thing that I focus on, and I think maybe the listeners maybe, maybe, uh, may do well to focus on, and that is that this story, it's, it's, you know, you've, you've got one story of your intelligence community, and there are a lot of things that have to be done in terms of or in the name of national security, but what makes this story a little different, a lot different, is that the current administration used the need for money to run these, the intelligence agency's operations as a way to get in the White House, and it involved doing about anything to be there, and that it really makes a statement about who you got in the White House, and it, and it, and it says a lot about what, how you need to be very careful. One should be very careful about the legislation and the policies that are coming out of that White House. You need to scrutinize them and understand that it's a, it's a, a, very, it's a very aggressive attempt to get more control over the American the American people and, and uh, the free enterprise sectors of this government. They have a very definite philosophy, and I think, the, and I think that's the next part of your show. How do you educate uh, the people, and how do you get their voice to have some effect? Because it isn't happening in Washington. All right, let's talk for a moment about Project Providence. Who'd like to take that one? Uh, well, I guess I'll go ahead and stick my foot in my mouth on that one. <laughs> and then after we talk about maybe Project Province for about, uh, let's say, five minutes, I'll watch this phone call. Okay. Well, the, the, the primary circumstance that we're dealing here is the a 
original foundations of strength in this country, in, in America, were formed by, by men who shared a common uh, Christian and conservative ethic of responsibility and accountability in their lives. And they, they penned, they authored uh, substantial documentation in, in the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, uh, for those things to be guaranteed for, for generations thereafter. Those were the foundations uh, on which this country was built. And, and it, no matter whatever else you read into all those documents about rights, about uh, all the other things that, that people seem to make large issue statements on this day and age, there are some words that are there about principles, about values, about standards of community, standards of personal accountability and responsibility that have been pretty much violated all the way across the board. And what we find, whether people want to term it as Clinton bashing or whatever with regard to how things are, are, are being discussed about the White House and the government, the, the, uh, the president's uh, attitudes and, and the policies that, that he comes up with, what we find in compromised is a very clear picture of the true character and nature of Bill Clinton and a number of the people he has surrounded himself with and how that continual violation of the original foundations of principle, of accountability, of responsibility, and of, and of consistent value standards that he is now promoting on one hand you know, and, and then doing something entirely different on the other is, is really what we are about at this point, is renewing a consistency in those standards and doing it through uh, a, a membership organization, a political action organization that is conservatively uh, addressing a lot of these issues based on the original standards of this country. And see, standards do not change. The, the standards for behavior, the standards for uh, treating people with respect, with dignity, uh, things being beneficial all the way across the board does not mean that I have to take away somebody else's right, somebody else's dignity. Uh, rights are a very, uh, essentially a lot of things I hear about rights are based on floating point uh, values. Somebody has the right to go do a lot of different things. But whether that is truly beneficial for them to do those things in view of what it means in our society, what it means in their family, uh, a lot of men have the right to go out with their buddies, drink beer, come through the door, hit the couch, fall asleep, whatever. But in between the door and the couch, they may commit a tremendous amount of abuse. They may commit that abuse just by going out the door to do these things to begin with. So, so you're, you're, accountability. You're, yeah, you're, you're basically you know, hitting on this idea of being responsible. Right. Uh, and and, and what, what one of the things that I've, I feel has happened uh, in the nation at this point is that uh, responsibility seems to have waned in, in every area. And, of course, it's real easy for all of us to point at government but as you're pointing out, government, and I believe this is what you're saying, if you're not, you can correct me, but I think you're saying that, that, that government basically is going to reflect <laughs> the lifestyles of the people, which it seems to be doing very well. Well, right now, the, the, 
the lack of accountability in our government is a mirror of the lack of accountability in our societal standards. Right. And the people who will go to the polls and vote, albeit 43% of them electing the current president, and put somebody in office who has a consistent lack of, of uh, value standards and accountability uh, are the people who are who we're having to deal with, and and quite rightfully right now, and I think this last weekend was a was a real uh, uh, thing that pointed out part of that. We had another national hero, quote unquote, whose personal life was was such a shambles, or yeah. allegedly, you know, and purportedly such a, a, a shambles that he had a tremendous set of of uh, standards as far as his professional. Mm-hmm. Uh, involvement and performance in one very narrow field of life. All right, let's let's take a call and see um, what our listeners have to say. I'll put you gentlemen on hold, okay? Okay. All right. Okay. Would you like to be on the air? Okay. Question for these guys. Does this conspiracy hold true to form the subjugation of the sovereignty of the citizen that goes back to the Civil War around 1860s and the initiation of the Public Salary Tax Act and the Buck Act of 1939? All right. Gentlemen, who would like to feel that one? Uh, Jim, you want, this is one I, you're going to have if you could repeat a little bit of the question and make sure that, that your listeners speak up. <laughs> Bruce, I had a hard time hearing the, the last part of that. Well, I'll tell you that the, the, the gentleman was very specific about some acts that were that were passed, and I tell you, I couldn't write them down fast enough. Um, we'll have to uh, try to go through this the best we can. But I think that his point was well taken, in that he was wondering how far back this went, and he, he even he alluded to the Civil War basically saying that certain rights have been uh, taken away from us as citizens. Well, well, let me just... And he mentioned just, the, the Buck Act, which I am not familiar with at yeah, all. I'm not... Let, let me just make a general comment um, that... And I invite the listener to call back, and we'll try that again if you'd like to, but but go ahead, try this again. I, I, I think, I think it, it's it's my view, it's my personal view, and that that the, you know, the Constitution did one thing, it... it it uh, it gave certain rights to the to the federal government, and whatever rights it it uh, it uh, didn't give to the federal government, it, it retained, and whatever rights in, in the Constitution that, that were not specifically prohibited from being exercised by the states were were also obviously uh, powers of the state. So so you know you you set the stage there. We had a country that was formed because of central government oppression and and we were we were trying to to be very careful with giving up those rights to one central government why the states are your local communities the states hear you uh, they uh, when, when you don't like something you, you feel like you're more heard by your local people your, your presence is felt uh, when you elect someone to Congress it's become like uh, a, a stranger. They become strangers very rapidly in Washington. That's what a lot of people, that's what I hear a lot of people say. They, you know, you, you, they get to Washington and all of a sudden they're, they're, 
they're they're operating on their own. They're no longer representing the local communities. So the long and the short of it is, I think yes, through the through the time in this country, you've had an erosion, a great erosion of the states and therefore the localities' powers, and more in the individuals' powers. Uh, increasingly so, you've had the federal government take over more of your life, whether it's uh, education. Uh, you know, a good example, the reason the Clinton administration is such a prime uh, a prime subject for this issue is that its philosophy is, that, is this. They don't have very much faith, and it's my opinion, in the American people. They don't have any faith that you as a person can set your own goals and, and pursue those and, and, and th- their faith their faith is only in the government. They feel like they can run your life better than you can run your life. It's very simple with them. And therefore, every single piece of legislation, I think this is right on point with a question, every single piece that I've looked at, and I've looked at most of the pieces from the budget plan on through and looked at the initial, the initial their initial proposal on health care, which was uh, incredible, but, but what, the, what that, those pieces of legislation do is, is one thing. They set up a bureaucratic hierarchy or framework. And it's my opinion that the Clintons are not particularly interested so much in the substantive portions of this legislation as they are in the framework being put into place. Because they know once the framework is put into place, then those bureaucracies will grow on their own. National health boards will all of a sudden explode. The, the apparatus underneath the health boards explodes. They cost the American people money, and they're there to control your life more. Same thing with your educational plans. They want, they want to reach into your local community, and they want to, from that point, guide your children. The prime responsibility for parents is the guidance of their children and the education of their children. So th- I, think, I think that's what I see when we look at the actual legislation. We don't care what they say. We found in numerous instances they, their words are inconsistent and directly contradicted by their own pieces of legislation. Hello, uh, would you like to be on the air? This is me again. Okay, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, too, this time. If you'll talk a little slower. Right, right. And uh, we'll let our listeners, uh, and uh, certainly our our, uh, our callers and our guests, hear what you have to say. Let's see if we can get this thing together once and for okay. all. Okay, Bruce. The, uh, again, the question, does this conspiracy hold true to form the subjugation of the sovereignty of the citizen that goes back to the Civil War around the 1860s and with the initiation of the Public Salary Tax Act and the Buck Act in 1939. Right, now let's just hold it for that. Okay, okay. let me... Okay, let me uh, I'm gonna put, let I'll me put build. you... Listen, I'll put you on hold. You won't lose, you won't lose this time, okay? Oh, all right. I'll put you on hold, and let's see if we can okay, get that. Okay, but before you uh, put me on, because this uh, continues on with Mitch, Mitch Modelewski's The Federal Zone and with the current flying of the new Columbia flag in Washington, D.C. Right, right, hold on, that's too fast. Mitch okay. who? Mitch what? Mitch Modelewski. In his book called The Federal Zone, that's where the Buck Act information comes from. 
and with Washington, D.C. flying the new state of New Columbia. Are these gentlemen aware of that? All right, let's find out. I'll put you on hold. Were you able to hear that uh, question at all? Yeah. All right. Uh, <clears throat> with regard to the subjugation of, of uh, citizens' rights during the Civil War, uh, one thing you had there was whether we agree or disagree, and, and Jim and I both being from southern states, you know, we, we still maintain a, a federalist view, I believe. In, yeah, and let's, uh, and let's explain to listeners what a federalist view is. Well, the, the federalist view is that the sovereignty of the United States of America and its multiple parts thereof, there is a, a federation, a, a national federation of the United States that has certain sovereign rights in its confederation. And under those circumstances, then there are certain other rights that are relegated to the states for local taxation, for local management of the business of communities and, and states and counties, where the, the, the Federalist view is that as a nation we have business to be co conducted on a national basis, you know, that, that are, are laid out in any number of different forms. So you have this division of responsibility. You have the division of authority. But then when you get to what we're dealing with now, in the division of authority, there is still an accountability individually because a person is a member of a family, a community, a state, and then a nation. And, now, now so what about, that, all right, what about the, uh, there were two other parts to his question which are very important. Uh, well, let's go, let's go back to the flag for a second. Uh, are you familiar with the book The Zone? I'm trying to remember the federal zone. I'm, I'm not familiar with that. Book. Jim? Jim no, I'm, I'm not either. Are you familiar with the idea of them flying the uh, the flag, the Columbia? Well, I've, I've seen the flag, but I've, I've not really paid a great deal of attention to that any more than I have several other things, because part of it is, is part, it, well, it is part and parcel of an overall agenda on a complete nationalization of assets, and, and see, that's what Jim was referring to a little bit uh, ago to carry what he was stating earlier a little bit farther. Everything that this administration is doing as far as their legislative acts are based on the nationalization of the total and absolute erosion of personal rights or personal ability to exert your own influence, your own accountability, your own responsibility for your family, for yourself, for your community, for the schools in which our kids are educated in. And then when you get to that point, when you find that they have, in the legislation, set up a national accountability standard based on whatever their view of things is, and you have a responsibility to measure up to that, and then if you don't, is when assets are seized, right. which takes you back to essentially the same kind of, of situation that were some of the foundations of uh, the Bolshevik resolutions and how some of their 
policies and the structure of their laws were set up in 1917. Timeless Voyager Radio is the show. Uh, two guests today we are talking about a lot, but we are talking right now with Bob Bickle and Jim Hovis. The book is called Compromised. Uh, let me just see for a second. Um, did that s pretty much answer your question? No, it seems that they are uh, at a loss because our research uh, has indicated that there's an important correlation that Mitch Modelewski was pointing out and then my own research and then through the subsequent uh, uh, network all around the country that when the uh, subjugation of the sovereign w uh, had been initiated, it created the problem that government now that uh, has exceeded its 10-mile square uh, contract, remember Washington, D.C. only had a 10-mile square uh, uh, power, now it has initiated all over the 50 states of this country, and with the federal zone initiated in 1939, has now created the states into municipalities where the municipality of, of California or the municipality of New York is directly related and responsible to Washington, D.C., and that's where the New Columbia has been initiated, where they will and, and, and are controlling the destinies of this country. And it seems that these guys uh, uh, either don't, haven't been able to find out that information, or I, I know not. That's why this question arose. So basically, what are you saying? I'm saying that it seems that they, uh, uh, my studies have demonstrated that there is the level of conspiracy is holding true to the fact that uh, uh, they have the right to control the destiny of this country because they, of, a lot of people are advocating that in a if because they are a U.S. citizen, they have given up their sovereignty as a sovereign American to becoming a subject which is a U.S. citizen. Okay, and, but who is the they? They, the um, uh, the people that wrote in the Fourteenth Amendment in 1866, and well, remember the, the, people did, uh, the people who did that are dead. So who is the they now? They they now are just continuing on with the policy of that original contract. And do we elect these people? Yes, they do. No, do we elect these people? Yes, we do. Every anybody that that votes is electing in those people. Okay, I'll, I'm going to let you go. I appreciate your call. Uh, let me see if we can get some comments on that. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Your comments, gentlemen. I hope you heard that. I, I could, I'm having a tough time with okay. the hookup. All right. Basically, basically what uh, the gentleman was saying was that uh, what has happened, evidently, and of course we all know historically, that, that the uh, Washington, D.C. essentially was supposed to administrate basically 10 miles within its area. Literally, the federal government has taken over the entire country. Municipalities are, not, are, are, are completely have been eradicated just about. And um, at this point, uh, there doesn't seem to be any state sovereignty at all, even though legally there's supposedly state sovereignty. And what he is concerned about is that with the passage of the 14th Amendment, uh, business is constantly being carried on in this uh, manner. Well, I, I, yeah, I, one of my problems I was had a very difficult time yes. hearing him, and that's just the hookup, so that's not certainly his fault. But no, I, we understand it, it. Just a, a short or a brief comment. I think that um, one of the one of the things that that I've seen in terms of of again, whether it's 
this administration's legislation or others. I think this administration has a much more aggressive and avarice appetite for other people's rights because that you know that's their philosophy and they know best. But it very a, a good example is is telling a state when when at the federal level you don't have the money to do what you just put in that piece of legislation. Federal government doesn't have the money to do that. Now they, they do if they go out and they raise taxes yet again, which which they know politically is disaster. All, and, and although they continually find ways to do it, there are all sorts of different taxes. And putting aside just the federal income tax, you've got all kinds of use taxes, and they all add up. And uh, and they all put brakes on the economy. And, and the and the result of that is less government receipts, and it does the opposite of what the tax increases were designed to do. It's never been any different in the history of this country. It's never been any different, but they're not going to tell you that. Because when they tax at a federal level, when they, when they raise taxes, that's money they can get their hands on. And it doesn't come back out. A very small percentage comes back out to help the local individuals. But here's the point. When they don't have money to do anything, and it's politically not, not expedient to go raise taxes, they go tell the individual states that they must do these things. States, you must do these following things. Oh, and by the way, um, you, you know, you have to find a way to pay for it. Those are the state mandates. And it's the same theory that's employed in the health care plan. Uh, but my point is that that's a very real example of, of going, reaching out to the states, telling them what to do, and then telling them they have to end up paying for it. And, and it, it uh, certainly points out that, that there is a continuing pro- process where the federal government is taking more and more control of our individual lives. I, I tell you, that you don't have the time for it, but I, I, uh, the Clinton Goals 2000, again, the educational plan is replete with, with directives, and they set up committees. They set up educational committees. And they tell you, we're going to be the best nation in the world in terms of a certain science or in terms of a certain area. And there's a lot of rosy language about that kind of stuff. But then they, they set up a council. And that council or committee is made up of federal bureaucrats. And that's where it starts. The federal bureaucrats have the power to set those standards. And the, and the, the devil is in the detail. When they tell you that that class can only move as fast as the slowest student. And they tell you that you, you as students must go out and get involved in certain multicultural uh, and, and diversity kind of projects, or you will not pass. It's a way that they social engineer through the power of the federal government. All right, now look, before we run out of time, I want everyone to hear more about the book. We we uh, we knew that that of course an hour wasn't going to be able to do this, but we did the best we could. Um, the book is called Compromised. It is how the presidency was co-opted by the CIA. Uh, it covers and I I boy I, when I look in the back of the book here, we're looking at 556 pages. It's a hardbound book. Um, boy. I mean, everything you can think of is in here. Names, dates, places, 
No, more, here's an example. More than $9 million a week in cash is secretly airdropped into Arkansas, which became the CIA's domestic banana republic. This has been a really, a really great uh, show, and, and um, I appreciate both of you. Uh, Jim, I appreciate you uh, coming online with us today. We didn't have a chance at all to talk about the Men's Resource Association. Bob, thank you very much for being on the show. The book is called Compromised. It's the bigger story behind Whitewater. Clinton, Bush, and the CIA, how the presidency was co-opted by the CIA. Terry Reid, John Cummings, the authors. Gentlemen, thanks so much for being on the show with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Bruce. All right. Thank, Thank you, you for your time, Bruce. Thanks for the call. Thank you, Bruce. Bye-bye. All right. And, uh, boy, I hope you enjoyed that show, everyone. It, it uh, really turned out to be uh, quite, a, quite a good show. I'm very happy to have had both gentlemen with me. Bruce Stephen Holmes, Timeless Voyager Radio is the show. Have a good week, everyone. <laughs>